0: For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net.
1: Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence. I am your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, M.D., I'm a psychiatrist in private practice and faculty member at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville. Each week, my guests and I talk about meaningful coincidences, synchronicity, and serendipity. We discuss synchronicity from its many perspectives, spiritually, practically, and statistically. Why? To increase your connection to coincidences so that you can benefit from coincidence awareness in your daily life. I've written a book also called Connecting with Coincidence. Put the phrase Connecting with Coincidence in your browser to find my book, Psychology Today blog, website, and social media sites. If you want to know how sensitive you are to coincidences, go to my website to take the Weird Coincidence Survey. Our guest today is Sky Nelson Isaacs. Sky has an MS in physics from San Francisco State University. His research is in the field of foundations of quantum mechanics. Yes, he is physically informed. He is informed by physics. And this this work his research has resulted in A physical and mathematical understanding of synchronicity based on a process called meaningful history selection. Meaningful history selection. This research has led inevitably to a deeper role for consciousness and emotions within fundamental physics. Sky is an advocate of using synchronicity to get into a state of flow, to address daily personal and social and societal challenges. And part of our discussion today, I am going to be asking Sky about this idea of using synchronicity to get into a state of flow. Because in my, in my research, my work, synchronicity has become and will become another spiritual path sky welcome to the show
3: good morning thank you for having me dr coincidence
1: You're, uh, thank you very much i love it i love it how did how did you start putting together um synchronicity coincidences and uh and physics
3: uh well it was never my intention to do that I was studying, in fact, synchronicity was kind of what led me, I think, on the path to studying synchronicity itself. That Some of the pieces that I was most interested in in physics as a college student, like Fourier analysis and uh, some of the pieces of quantum mechanics that I was learning, were always of interest to me and I kept researching them from different angles as I grew, as I, as I matured as a physicist. and. Uh, reading lots of different books like um, The Dancing Wooly Masters, which is a great book that I recommend. And then I started to also experience more uh, opportunities of synchronicity, more things happening in my life that seemed out of the blue, and how could I possibly explain that? And sometimes it's a really a big one, and sometimes it's much a, a series of much smaller ones that each of them alone would not be so unusual, but when you put them together, it, it's a the question arose in my mind: How could this alignment really be happening? There's really only two answers to that: either it's in my head and I'm making it up, or there's got to be some kind of mathematical law to it, because that's what I study. You know, physics is, says that everything in the universe has some kind of mathematical law to it, or it's made up. So,
1: well, there there was a third alternative, just the way you. Um described it it's either in your mind or there's a law for it or it's both in your mind and in your environment
3: right yeah and
1: that's that's what you've come to and uh, just a funny way of phrasing it i thought you'd say it's either in my mind or has something to do with my mind and my environment but instead you went to laws of physics and uh, that's a that's that's not a, a way most people go so, please tell us about uh, the laws of physics and synchronicity as you started uncovering their connection
3: well what what quantum mechanics really is is the first thing I'll say people, good, good,
1: good. Think, I, I want to know what quantum mechanics is that's it, it, if you know what it is, you don't know what it is, that kind of thing but um, yeah
3: right <laughs> if, if you think you know what quantum mechanics is and you haven't fully understood it yeah. I think it was Bohr, Niels Bohr, who said that. And I was
1: Feynman, Fein, Fein, I think it was. Was
3: it Feynman? Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, the chemistry is a study of chemicals. Yeah. And physics is a study of physical objects. Uh, quantum mechanics is a study of what things are doing when we're not observing them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's good.
3: That's it. So what what we've learned from uh, some experiments in the last. 15, 20 years, conclusively really, uh, there's not really any debate about this in, in the science community, that the properties we associate with things in the physical world like electrons, for instance, the properties of electrons are not pre- they don't pre-exist before you actually measure them. So even though the electron pre-exists, you know, it's sitting there waiting for you to measure it, the properties you associate with the electron don't have a definite a definite state or, or value. In other words, you can't rightfully say that they, those properties pre-exist before you interact with them and actually measure those properties. In other words, our interaction with the electron forces it to take a state and provide a value for you. That's
1: great. Very nice explanation. Good.
3: And so it's it's important to stop thinking about objects as things in themselves and rather think about them as collections of properties that we might measure or interact with. So you, Dr. Breitman, are not an autonomous human being. You are a collection of properties that when I interact with you I'll get certain responses.
1: Blah, blah, blah.
3: <laughs> and so this is what physics tells us about electrons and and a lot of my work is showing that this is not limited to just electrons and, and microscopic particles. I don't know that we'll get into that. That's more technical. but. My perspective on this is that, and the mathematics supports it, is that this type of understanding applies to all objects, that they don't actually have predetermined properties until the moment of interaction. So it's the interactions between objects that, that actually are real, not the objects themselves.
1: Oh, That, that, that's, that, that of course, is a profound uh, shift in the way anybody thinks about it um our current 3d reality so please continue
3: it is and that's what's so so interesting about it when we start to think this way we one of the first things that comes that might come to mind is that well the the room i'm sitting in right now has a bunch of objects in it and those objects i assume are fixed they've been there all night and they will continue to be here all day and um when i leave the room they'll remain here and and conversation is like einstein for instance said do you really think the moon is there is not there when i'm not looking yeah problem with this idea that things only exist when you're looking at them but this brings up the key point which is that it's really our language and our concepts to get in the way we're not saying the moon doesn't exist when we're not looking at it we're saying that the the ways in which the moon is evolving are not fixed so, for instance, whether a meteor hit the moon in the past two minutes or not, I don't know, and is actually an undetermined uh, possibility. It's not that the moon isn't there or is there, it's that the, the ways in which it evolved or the things that have happened to it since the last time I looked are undetermined and, and can be, therefore, in my view, selected in, in a way that's preferential for the meaningful ones. In other words, let me say that a little less tangled In other words, life can unfold a lot of different ways. The objects in my office can can change in a lot of different ways over time, whether I'm in the room or not. If I'm not in the room, all those different possible ways uh, can be chosen from. There's like a whole bunch of possibilities for, for life to choose from. And then synchronicity is when the more meaningful possibilities become selected. And we can talk about what that means.
1: We have to talk about what that means, um, because that's so uh, subtle um, that, just back to the moon, that we can select out when to look at the moon, um, and that will determine what we see. But there are things that happened before we looked that uh, were
3: undetermined. Right, including things like meteors that have traveled for thousands of years through space. You know, the, the idea that that's undetermined is unpalatable for most folks. That it's
1: undetermined until you, you actually see the meteor hit the moon?
3: Well, yes, and, and, that, and that brings up the question, is undetermined for who? Yeah. And it's, it's crucial to this idea that it's undetermined for each observer. So this, this world is relational. In other words, what quote-unquote really happened... Is only defined in each relationship.
1: So, is this is how's this related to uh, uh, movies in which you, you see five different people describe the same events in, in, in different ways?
3: Yeah, that's a great, great question. So, there's two principles that go together in my view to make this all work. One of them is the relationality of the universe. So, I make a measurement by looking at the moon, and that makes me and the moon correlated in a certain way so whatever has happened to the moon in the last two minutes i now know because i've now observed it and that's fixed but there's also this principle of consistency so that you if you make a measurement of the moon and you and i don't look at each other then your measurement of the moon is also you know only relationally defined between you and the moon so whatever you observe for the moon is what has collapsed, what we we'll call collapsed for you yeah. Yeah. In, your, in your perspective. But the key point is that when you and I then interact, if we share some notes about what we saw, we have to have those two relational views line up and be consistent. And so there's, it's seamless that the world is only taking shape in response to each of our separate interactions or queries of it. But when it does take shape, and then we share information about it and we talk together, we're always going to describe uh, a common set of circumstances that we observed. So we'll never, we'll never be clued into the fact that this is actually just collapsing for our perspective. It seems like it's objective.
1: And when, if I have a different view of the moon and than you do, how do they become the same through our interaction about it?
3: Well, yes, that's great. So y- when you observe the moon... From your perspective, it takes a definite form. In other words, between you and the moon, there's a, a fixed you know, reality. But from my perspective, both you and the moon are evolving as separate. You know, you're separate from me. Yeah. And so you and the moon are both objects that have many possible histories, we call it. You know, many possible ways you could have unfolded. There's one history in which you observe the moon doing one thing, and there's another history in which you observe the moon doing another thing. Each of those possibilities contains both you and the moon. So when I observe you, I'm I'm actually collapsing your history as well as the moon's history. Yeah,
1: yeah, and that somehow makes our histories similar.
3: Yeah, the, the, then, then they're always going to be consistent. So I'm never going to be like, well, I measured a meteor hitting the right side of the moon, and you measured a meteor hitting the left side of the moon, and now you've got data showing what you got, and I've got data showing what I've got, and they line up, and suddenly there's like a, a wrinkle in time, and we're, you know— Creating a, a, wormhole through space because of the inconsistency or something. <laughs>
1: well, that's a tough. That's that's a tough one. We're coming, to the um, to the uh, end of this segment, and these are these are hard concepts. They were hard for me when reading your draft of your book too, and, and I think it's, it's important to try to get these clear, and they're related to somehow my synchronicity is more important to me than it is to you, so we will. We will be back with Skye Nelson after a short break. Oh, welcome back to CC with BB, connecting with coincidence with Dr. Bernie Biteman, MD. That's me, and we are talking with Sky Nelson about some very, very interesting. Difficult and important ideas about how to understand meaningful coincidences, and c- central to this is the phrase "meaningful history selection." Uh, and embedded in this is the ideas from our ideas from quantum quantum mechanics, which have to do with what's called collapsing the wave function, which means that by observing we make something with multiple potentials become something that's palpable and real to us. So, Skye, these are are really interesting and tough questions when we talk about how the moon observation, my observation, your observation, then we collapse something together as you look at me and I look at you talking about what we've observed. Please try to say some more about that.
3: Yeah, and, and I also encourage people to, you know, There's different levels of engaging with with this material. At one level, it can become really heady and we can have lots of cool ideas and talk about abstract concepts in physics. And at the other level, we have real experiences of synchronicity that bring us together and make us uh, connect to things in our own life. And so I think those are both important aspects that I'm sure sure we'll get to talk about. I just don't want to scare people away by getting too technical too fast <laughs>
1: well we ha- we already have so let's <laughs> l- let's let's see if we can work uh, the other way around uh, let's yeah. start let's start with um, a coincidence you experienced uh, at age 18 while backpacking around Europe
3: yeah I was traveling uh, through Europe as part of my a break from college it was my third year of college and I took a semester off to get a plane ticket and just take trains and hitchhike around Europe and at the same time, I had a friend named Dana who was going to Israel to study for a semester. And we had this half-baked notion to meet while we were there because, you know, Israel and Europe are not too far away from each other, it seemed to us. <laughs> 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 and so we said, let's meet, meet on a beach in Greece because that sounded romantic and cool. And we weren't actually dating at the time, but we had been close friends for about five or six years at that point. And... We, so I went and traveled around Europe, and there were no cell phones or email really at that time. And I, I w- didn't call her for about f- six weeks while I was traveling. And she got more and more frustrated, like, oh, my God, this is never going to happen if he doesn't call me. How, and could you,
1: how could you call her if you didn't have I, cell phones?
3: Well, you? that was the point. I tried to call her from one uh, hostel while I was staying at a hostel in Spain. And after about five minutes of chit-chat, I realized that I had racked up a $30 phone bill. <laughs> And that was like my meals for the next week. So I freaked out and hung up. And I said I'd call her back when I got closer to to Greece. So I traveled through Italy and was heading closer to Greece. And I was going to call her when I got pretty close. And I ended up getting sick. And I had to go home. So I, I changed around my plane tickets so that I could fly out of Paris in about three days. And I got on a train to go from Rome back up to Paris. And so I had about two days in Paris while I was waiting for my plane and I went to the Louvre Museum while I was there on one of those days because I was sick, but I also wanted to enjoy my last days on this adventure. Well, meanwhile, back up a couple of days, Dana had you know, been, been getting frustrated waiting for me to call, and her friends had invited her to go to Fashion Week in Paris that weekend, and she said no because she was waiting for me to call, and she said if, if, I, don't, if I don't get Sky's call when he, when he calls, I'm never going to connect with him, so I'm going to stay and wait for him to call, <laughs> which is crazy. So she ends up getting on the phone with her mom, and her mom does the right thing, which is saying, honey, please forget about Sky. Just go to Paris and have fun. So she does. She gets a plane ticket and goes to Paris with her friends, which is very unlike her to do that and b- bail on me. But as you, can under- as you can imagine, she wasn't actually bailing on me. She was doing what was necessary for us to actually meet by accident at the Louvre on the day that I visited the Louvre. So I'm walking, looking for a picture or for a specific exhibit and I walk in this room and suddenly I stop and I look and there's this woman that looks just like Dana. So I'm really confused because how could that be? Dana's in Israel. But I'm just standing there staring at her and her friend looks at her and says, Dana, don't look now, but there's this really weird guy staring at you. (laughs) So she looks over and she says, that's Skye. Because, of course, none of her friends believed that I even existed because she had been talking about me for this last six weeks. So we connected in Paris by accident and uh, we sat in the airport overnight while we waited for my flight and, and talked. And this was a soul connection for us that just was more deeply ingrained after that experience. And when, she. Became,
1: when you say soul connection, would you please tell us what that means to you?
3: <laughs> well that's not a scientific term <laughs> that I'm using there
1: we don't have this it's going to be <laughs> yes yes right, but what what do you what do you mean by that
3: there there was okay so let's put it in terms of synchronicity that she and I met on the first week of high school and we became best friends since that time and but we weren't dating so we we you know we we had she had wanted that at some points and I hadn't and the timing hadn't been right and we hadn't dated. But there was this way in which it was clear that we, were, we needed to be together. We needed to have each other in our lives. And that, in my view, is what brought about the synchronicity because it was a part of me that needed that experience, that needed that connection in my life. It's, it's greater than what I can explain with my logical mind about, you know, I had I hadn't planned to meet her in Paris. I had planned to meet her in Greece, and, well, that didn't happen, but we ended up meeting in Paris, which is just about as good. But there's something deeper that I think is drawing these synchronicity experiences to us, which is our affect. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is what, what we're being, what we're calling to ourselves from the inner place, not, not our head center, but our, our heart center, or yeah. something like that. yeah. And yeah. so the soul connection for me is, in this case, is that there was something deeper there that i hadn 't really tapped into that was real that was calling us pulling us together in this way and making the the likelihood of us ending up at the same place in time greater than it would have been otherwise yes 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 and just to bring the story to conclusion, she and I ended up being married about ten years later, and we have a, a daughter now What well, took so long <laughs> well th- i think that 's an important part of the story it 's not like we just Met at the Louvre and said, "Oh, this is amazing, this is destiny. Let's get married." We actually that was a connection for 24 hours in the airport, and I went home, and I ended up entering a different relationship for about three years. And when that relationship fell apart, I sort of I realized that the relationship that had been there the whole time for me was this one with Dana, and we rekindled that connection, and that gradually led to us being married but there's a there's a lot of steps in between that i think are really important if we want to apply synchronicity in our lives we need to see it as we need to not be looking out for the huge road signs that tell us exactly what to do but rather the the subtle guidance that's you know that's real uh, realistic guidance
1: and what were some of the subtle guidances for you with dana
3: well, the one I just described was a, a not-so-subtle one. No, that was not subtle. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I would say it can be... It can come in conversations that I have with another person. You know, maybe I'm talking with my mom just casually one day getting ready for Thanksgiving dinner, and she asks the question, so how's Dana? I, you guys haven't talked in a long time, And and she happens to mention that just after I've been had a dream about Dana the night before or something like that.
1: Uh
3: uh I'm making these up, but these are the kinds of things that, that can occur, which are the alignment of circumstances outside of ourselves in a way that initiates or kindles some ideas inside of ourselves to move in a certain direction. And, and a really core piece of that is that we're not just absorbing these, these guidance messages from the world and just acting on them. They're kindling something in us to get clear inside of us. So ultimately, it's our own inner experience that determines what is right for us. It's not the synchronicity.
1: Oh, that's so right. That is so right. That is so right. Can you then? Uh, you you've you have two uh, so far um, explanatory models uh, for synchronicity that I, I'm, I, and then we're just talking about you and Dana. In the, at the museum, at the Louvre in Paris, where something uh, that began uh, first day of high school uh, developed a heart emotional connection between the two of you, so that you became best friends, um, not dating, but there was that that heart connection uh, continued to evolve and develop, and. It brought you together somehow. And the somehow of that heart emotional connection that, that became stronger and stronger between the two of you um, has some relationship to um, quantum mechanics to you. And I wonder if you can go from that heart connection to um, thinking about meaningful history selection and quantum mechanics.
3: Yeah, and, and this is work that is really current for me that I'm currently working on this year, and uh, in fact, this week. So I can share the ideas that are that I'm putting on the paper right now, and um, you know, they're not they're not fully verified and all that stuff. But that's okay for now. So the the interesting thing about quantum mechanics is that it's actually a theory of symbols. So we use these things called kets and bras. That a bra and a ket stand for a bracket or a bracket, uh, and and this is just a mathematical term we use for these mathematical things. And when we do you know math, when we do uh, calculations around like electron interference, for instance, in some kind of semiconductor device, what we're doing is um, using these bras and kets to orchestrate our Calculate our interference or, and the, the likelihood of a certain outcome, but what's what's really crucial is that those objects, the, the mathematical things we write down called ket's, for instance, are not equal to the electron. They don't they don't exactly. We don't say this is the mass of the electron or this is the spin of the electron. They say we say they represent it. They're a symbol that represents the spin of the electron. And if we want to actually get this the measurable spin, we actually have to apply what's called a measurement operator. When we do that, the symbol that we call a ket spits out a number that we can then verify and measure. But this, the, what we're actually working with in quantum mechanics are symbols. Symbols that represent the potential for measurement outcomes for certain properties. Okay. So w- we've got symbols that represent the possibility that the mass of the electron is you know, whatever it is or that the spin of the electron is pointing in the up direction at a certain time. Or, for instance, that my cup, like let's just ex- extrapolate that a bit to the macroscopic world, although this is stepping outside the bounds a little bit. Yes. We've got a, a, a ket that represents my cup on the table, but it's not actually equal to the cup. It just represents all the things that, can, that I can measure about the cup. So when I measure the cup with my hand, that gives me a certain set of feelings and, and measurement experiences that I could have from the symbol that we call the cup. And this aligns with some of the work being done by, for instance, Donald Hoffman and his group in uh, Irvine, I believe, around the interface theory of perception that the the world we experience, the physical world we live in, is actually a, like a desktop interface designed not to tell us what's really going on, but to provide a useful interface to to survive in the world.
1: Okay. Okay. That almost can... I can make sense of that one. We are, again, coming to the end of this segment, um, and we want to continue to go back and forth between physics and synchronicity and get practical in our next segment. We'll be back with Sky Nelson after a short break. Welcome back to CC with BB, connecting with coincidence with Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. That's me, and our guest today is Sky Nelson. We are talking about the interface between physics and synchronicity, and this is a good mind-bender for all of us. Sky, you have another story you want to tell us about.
3: Sure, and, and let me... Just complete this this model that the it's the the part of ourselves that's interacting with the world is uh, is doing so symbolically and I think that this is what is driving synchronicity that our our inner emotional state our heart center of intelligence is actually forming uh, seeing the world through symbols through concepts uh, of of experiences that, it's it is seeking, and it's that interaction between our own inner symbolic state and the, what the world, how how we can describe the world, also in symbolic terms, that brings about synchronicity, and that, that aligns such, with, that's with how Jung talked about it.
1: That is such a key idea, um, where you're going from uh, the symbols of quantum mechanics as ways of understanding properties of things with potentials out there. And now you're saying that our hearts create symbols that become ways of defining aspects of things, potential things out there.
3: That's right. And Albertus Maximus uh, said this as well. And uh, I believe this is in Jung's book that he said this. But um, he said something, I'll, I'll paraphrase, that the, it's clear that the world is responding to our affect and Albertus Maximus was a, a scholar and religious scholar in the, around 1200 AD and very well respected. And, and I think it's interesting that he would come to that conclusion because that's also over a lot of different trial and error. That's the conclusion I and many others have come to. The world is responding to our inner emotional state. And we have more experiences of unusual, uncanny synchronicity when we're in a highly aroused emotional state, positive or negative.
1: And that's uh written that uh, in my book too is the qualities that increase coincidence include um high emotion, transition, and need
3: mm-hmm. yeah
1: and, and they are variations on the same idea of being in high emotional states that's uh it's nice to come to that um from some from different directions, so please go ahead
3: yeah so i I have. I've collected a lot of stories, as you have, and I really appreciate the amount of work you've gone to, to collect and, and organize this field because it's, it's important. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, you know, one, one of the stories, that, there's a lot of scientific stories that bring to mind synchronistic or serendipitous discoveries. One of them uh, is well known around Alexander Fleming, and he was researching bacteria growth. And he went away on vacation for the weekend and he forgot to cover some of his samples and they were sitting near an open window. And when he came back after the weekend or vacation, he found that some of the samples had grown, you know, and sort of bloomed and taken over because he had left them out. But some of them had died and some other thing had grown in the dish. And he started to connect the dots. And it's kind of like my thing with Dana in, in Paris. He didn't connect all the dots right away. It was a gradual unfolding, but that was the, that was the spark that lit uh, a path for him to identify that what was happening was a mold that they later identified as penicillin was growing in that dish and creating a, a substance that killed the, um, the bacteria that had been growing. And so here was a mold that they could grow which would kill staph infections. And this is the beginning of antibiotics, which transformed the modern world of medicine. So that was an accident, right? A, a serendipitous accident.
1: And not, and not only that, um, there were a series of about 10 or 15 other uh, synchronicity coincidences between uh, that discovery um, in, in 1929, uh, where nobody paid attention to it, even Fleming didn't, th- through Oxford, where they were doing experiments on cell walls, and and bacterial cell walls through the manufacture of large quantities of penicillin in Peoria, Illinois, uh, which all were done by a series of amazing, to me, that is the most amazing series of coincidences uh, that I have in the world so far uh, Mm -hmm. that, that went from that Petri dish in 1921 or so when it, when some of his nasal mucosa uh, interfered with uh, bacterial growth in a Petri dish two massive amounts of penicillin being made in Peoria, Illinois. Uh, it's a remarkable,
3: remarkable story. And I, I started with that one because it's probably familiar with a lot of our listeners. But there's, there's so many of them, and I'll just list off a few other discoveries, like... Um, the therapeutic effects of lithium, and this is one you're, you're probably also in, is in your book, um, by John Cade, was a synchronistic discovery when he was looking for something else. He was looking to uh, find out um, if uric acid in the blood was having an effect on, um, to, calm the, to, to deal with uh, hyper, hyper expression of these guinea pigs. And by injecting uric acid in the form of lithium urate, because that was the most soluble form of uric acid, he found that actually the lithium in that was, uh, was useful in calming them down. Yes. And methchloramine meth-chlorothamine is also a, dr- is a drug that's now used for uh, treating white blood cell cancers. That was discovered from mustard gas accidentally after World War One. Yes. Uh, we also have cisplatin, an anti-cancer drug that was discovered um, from the accidental use of platinum electrodes when testing uh, cell, the effect of electricity on cell growth. But he found this person, Barnett Rosenberg, found that it was actually the, the platinum that was causing the, the uh, cells not to divide, I believe. And tamoxifen is a, is a breast cancer drug. And, so the, and that was also developed um, into a, a morning after pill. And that was discovered through a, a series of accidents around uh, DNA testing.
1: There's a, there, there is a small movement um, within science, um, that, particularly research, um, that tries to be able to suggest that we must encourage serendipity rather than following uh, repetitive protocols.
3: Yeah, I've read about that. It's pretty inspiring. Yes. I mean, if you think about Einstein, for instance, it's a great story of how he developed the theory of special relativity in 1905 because he was living in Bern, I believe, at the time, Switzerland, and he was working at the patent office. People know that, but what they may not know is that the patent office was uh, within line of sound to the central train station, and the central train station had uh, a whole bunch of clocks on the wall for the different time zones of the, where the trains were coming and going to. You know you see those in the, in the old-fashioned train stations. and so they had all the different time zones, and the different clocks were synchronized. And the, the major problem of the day around, uh, around this issue was synchronizing those clocks, because they, they had telegraph, but they didn't have you know the kind of synchronization we have where it's really easy to know that what the time is in New York versus the time in San Francisco. So keeping those clocks synchronized was a real challenge and people were putting a lot of effort into that. And he had actually analyzed a lot of patent applications for devices that would synchronize clocks across long distances. So, And then his discovery was a more abstract version of that. How do we synchronize clocks that are moving near the speed of light that are not in contact with each other? So there's this alignment with the, the, the environment he was immersed in and the it's a symbolic alignment right it's not a it didn't lead from one thing directly to his discovery symbolically, there was this parallel development of what the world was working on and what he was working on in his head. Yes, that's very good that's very good
1: I want to get to um, one of the things I want to get to how If people pay attention to synchronicities, to meaningful coincidences, they will get more into the flow. And you can define flow, please.
3: Yeah, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi wrote the seminal book on flow, I think it was 30 years ago or so, and he talks about flow being uh, the psychology of peak experience. And we've all had experiences of flow where the the part of our brains that's tracking all the little minute details and thinking about the past and the future drops away. And he says that one of the reasons he observed in all the different people's reports of flow is that the reason it brings a sense of joy is because we're so absorbed in the task that we're doing that we don't have time or or actually brain space to think about the things that might be worrying us. So by being absorbed in our task, we are uh, shutting out all the other conversation that could be happening in our brain that might stress us out.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And my experience of synchronicity is that when I pay attention to the little synchronicities in my life, the little accidental, oh, the li- I'm going to the library with my daughter, but it's closed on this particular day. Well, why is it closed? Oh, that, that could be a really frustrating experience. But it leads me instead, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I have to wait half an hour until our violin lesson. What can we do with half an hour? Oh, well, the violin store is just three blocks away. Let's go there. And we go there, and we have an experience with uh, the the person behind the counter there that we wouldn't have had otherwise that takes my daughter, Ellie, to a new level with her interest in violin. And now I've got this series of events that lined up, starting with a disappointing event, right, that – uh allowed me to get into a flow with life and lead to a a beneficial outcome that I couldn't have predicted or, you know, I didn't think when I woke up that morning that I was gonna go to the violin store and have my daughter get excited about violin again.
1: One of the lessons of of synchronicity coincidence is to be able to do what you just did, which is to turn what seems like a problem into a positive.
3: Yes, and we don't do that with Pollyanna thinking. We don't just sit there and tell ourselves, oh, I'm so glad that I was late for the bus because now I get to practice being patient around being late for the bus, (laughs) you know. Um, Rather, I'll I'll give an example about the bus. I I had finals and I I was traveling three hours by bus to San Francisco State uh, for my master's degree and I had to take a couple of different buses to do that and the day I had finals, suddenly I realized I didn't have my car keys. And I had to, get to use the car keys to get to the bus station. So it was only 10 minutes away, but I couldn't get there without the, the keys. And my wife had taken the keys when she left to the house. So I finally I called my wife. And in the meantime, you know, she's on her way home. But I realized I'm going to miss my bus. So I had to adjust. And I, you know, this is the type of thing that in, in me, of course, there's this huge reaction of how everything is going wrong. <laughs> like I'm, I'm going to miss my finals. And I can't believe that on this one day I wouldn't have my keys and the world is falling apart around me. And then I have a choice in that moment as to how to respond. And I'm not saying we should just take a positive attitude and say, well, you know, there's positive light to this. There's a silver lining to this. This isn't about looking for the silver lining. It's about looking for how can the situation unfold that still achieves the goals that I have. Yes. Even, even though I'm disappointed. Yeah. And so she got home, and in the meantime, on her way home, I called my friend Tom, who was really familiar with the bus routes, and I, I found out that there was a, a different bus stop about half an hour down the road that I could intercept the bus, even though I missed it at my initial uh, starting point. And so I get in the car, I drive like mad down to the bus stop. I get out, and I, it looks like I'm in time. And so I'm waiting for the bus there, and the bus shows up, and I'm so excited, and I get on, and it's standing room only. And, t- and,
1: and, and at this standing room only time, we are going to... Wait for our next segment to hear how it turned Mm -hmm. out with Sky Nelson.
3: Suspense.
2: The Earth is under ever-increasing pressure from untenable lifestyles and growing populations. Yet viable answers seem in short supply. What if I told you there's an ancient form that can empower you to take charge of your life? What if your entire family could be enfolded and supported by life itself, finding safe passage through challenging times? I'm Gwilda Wiecka, founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Art School with Great News, an upcoming series of leading-edge online affordable classes based in an ancient form of shamanism easily learned and used by your entire family.
1: Welcome back to Connecting with Coincidence. Our guest today is Sky Nelson, and we left him about to get on to a crowded bus. What happened then, Sky?
3: Well, you got to remember, I was on my way to finals, and yes. you're never completely ready for finals. So uh, I get on the bus, and I'm thinking, I've, I've got an hour and a half on this bus. I want to use my time to study. And I get on. And, oh, and... and and uh, I get on, and the bus is totally full. And I'm thinking, I can't study while I'm standing, and I have to hold myself up and hold my backpack. And So I sort of move my way to the back of the bus, and suddenly I realize that there's this guy sitting there who has his backpack on one of the seats. The bus is full of people in every single seat except this one guy who's taken up a backpack with a seat. And he sees me, and he offers me to take, he offers to take the backpack down. And so of all the people on the bus, I'm the one that gets the seat. And I was able to study the whole rest of the way. Wow. So my needs were met in that case in very subtle ways. I just sort of followed the flow from one circumstance to the next proactively. Right? I didn't just surrender to the circumstance and you know, give up on getting to school or get in my car and drive the whole way. I figured out what's the next thing that I can do to bring about... Uh, the, you know any kind of help from the cosmos that I might be able to get. The next thing I needed to do was get on that bus somewhere and I found out that there was a place I could do it and that to do that would just mean driving half an hour. That's the next step. And that's all I knew how to do was the next step.
1: Well, this, is our, this is our last segment. And uh, I'd like to get back into uh, mechanisms. Um, the, the one with um, meeting Dana at the Louvre, when each of you had been in different parts of Europe, and there you were on the same day in, this, in it's the same room in the Louvre Museum, uh, and you spotted her. Uh, I, I refer to that as human GPS, uh, the, the capacity for people to be able to get where they need to go without knowing how they got there. And each of you did just that, and you your hearts had something to do with it. That emotional connection between the two of you had something to do with it. And I, I think of uh, the psychosphere, the um, that we are immersed in our mental atmosphere, which is not inconsistent with where we when we talk about in physics. It's not. It's just the Earth's atmosphere that I'm talking about, not the universe, because that's where we live, and there's a lot of action. Just enough to talk about coincidences within uh, the earth's atmosphere and somehow in that psychosphere your hearts had a way of connecting with each other that then fed back into the decisions that each of you made to find each other in that louvre in a subconscious way that neither of you were tracking
3: yeah you, you know i think that one of the one of the things that gets in the way of trying to understand this is if if we're thinking that she's Dana is actually someplace and I need to find her with my human GPS like there's a there's a world out there that I'm trying to adapt to and then I but I have free will right so I, I could go left down the hallway towards this building part of the building or left or right down the hallway towards that part of the building and a lot of times we we think about synchronicity as trying to trust our gut and like do the right thing that is going to lead us to the right place and instead and that's a very tall order because we have free will we can choose whatever we want we can choose to leave the building if we want so how does synchronicity show up for us then and what this perspective encourages us to see is that the world is actually adapting to us so whichever choice i take to go right down this hallway or left down the hallway the world has multiple possible scenarios in which I can meet Dana in the room on the right or the room on the left. And so whichever one I choose is the one that can fall into place in order to make that alignment and make us feel like we're at the right place at the right time.
1: Wow. The world is adapting to us. Now, that's, that's one thing to, um, to think about if I observe something and that that brings the properties, uh, into my consciousness. It's another thing to do that, uh, in motion.
3: Uh, right. And, and, and so I know, you you know, your listeners are interested in the mechanism and I'll share that the, the, the key piece we haven't, haven't shared yet is that our emotional state, I believe our, our, our symbolic felt experience is post selecting certain outcomes And post-selecting is this term that means our symbolic feeling, felt emotional state is reaching into all the, the tree of possibilities of all the things that could happen. It's identifying those outcomes in which my symbolic felt experience becomes met or actualized. My need becomes met. And those branches that have my met need grow an apple on them. And those apples weigh down the branches that lead to the outcomes where she and I meet. And so now the branches of the tree where she and I meet have become heavier and the, the likelihood of a particular outcome that meets my need and is meaningful has now become more likely because of the weight of that apple.
1: And how does that apple grow again?
3: It's, it's simply a representation of the probability that, is, that we assign to that branch. And the probability gets larger on certain branches because we are post-selecting those outcomes. our our symbolic felt experience inside of our hearts, or whatever it may be, I'm not an expert on the physiology of it, that felt experience is reaching into this branch, branching tree of possibilities, including the future states of the world, and selecting out those futures that align with our emotional state, or our desired experience of the world. And those futures, we don't get to choose those futures, but we are influencing which ones become heavier, have heavier apples on them. And when they become heavier, they become more likely. And then we're more likely to experience things that lead to whatever it is that we are uh, yearning for or at least acting upon in our our actions.
1: Um, It's it's a hard question, but what do you do about uh, people uh, in very dire circumstances uh, looking for food?
3: Well, you know, I think one important thing is that we don't do most science by looking at the extreme case first and trying to explain that. I mean, that's one, one approach. But I think that the danger in talking about synchronicity is that it is a world, in, we live in a world in which bad things happen. And we don't want to think that if we just understood synchronicity and acted perfectly in that way that we would never have bad things happen to us I think that's a really dangerous perspective that misses a lot of subtleties around life experience and and the felt experience of of humans so I think that you know I like to focus on what are the the simple everyday experiences that we can start to understand better and how to follow the guidance in our lives in simple ways
1: I think that's a good idea um I think that is a good idea.
3: I think that can really influence the way we have experiences of synchronicity on a daily basis, which is really where the big influence in our lives comes from. Yep. Um, So, and I can say a little bit more about that if there's time.
1: There is, and yeah, we have another four minutes or so.
3: So, I think that this, this type of perspective is important to apply to things like the way we work and the way we parent, the way we live in the sense that every day we're experiencing lots of little events in our lives that align. And in some sense, in my perspective, are guiding us towards, uh, the most, most whole life that we can live, the whole experience of ourselves. And so when we have obstacles in our day of getting our kid to school, or when we come up against uh, a a canceled meeting or a room that's been reserved that now just got taken away from us for a meeting we have at work, uh, we have an opportunity every day in those types of circumstances to figure out how we're gonna relate to the events in our lives. And a theory of synchronicity gives us a way of relating to to events in our lives on a daily basis, which allows us to be more flexible and more in flow and actually see solutions that we wouldn't have seen before and be directed to solutions that might, have, might even be better than we would have gotten otherwise. And if we can do that, we can start to solve real problems in new ways.
1: Uh, the bus example is probably a, a, is what we are talking about being applied um, in our everyday lives.
3: Yeah, and we have an obstacle that seems to be just making our world crash down around us by missing a bus on the way to finals. And instead, it turns out to be an experience where that was sort of inconsequential. I made it there fine, I did well on my exam, and you know, I look back and there was no problem. And so the more we can look at life and say, okay, well, is there a way in which this could be no problem when I look back two weeks from now? Or I might even look back and say, wow, if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't have ended up on this branch of the tree where something really important and special is happening that wouldn't have happened otherwise.
1: We have about a minute left, and uh, I would have liked to ask you, I realize, about how synchronicity can be applied in the way you're talking about, as with the bus example, um, to uh, improving interpersonal relationships, because I I know they can. Uh, As a therapist, um, I see that uh, in my practice, but we're not going to be able to do that but it's one of the uh, one of the major areas of human function that needs a lot of work um, sure does helping people to get along with each other and i, I call it a, a kind of um, interpersonal technology yeah. and, and and I think that um, the kind of uh, coincidence awareness that you're talking about can help uh, sharpen and maximize uh, our interpersonal uh, technologies to, to be able to get along with people better. I'm sure you, uh, you, you probably uh, go along with that.
3: Yeah, well, I'll just say briefly that the, the relational model that we talked about earlier says that everything that happens that we measure is relative to ourselves, and synchronicity is actually relative to ourselves. Um, and so we can learn to take everything that happens in our life as teaching for us and where we could be heading in our life versus what it's, what's wrong with the other person. And that can help us have more interpersonal relationships.
1: Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much for being with us, Sky Nelson. <laughs>